Well, um, if you weren't with us last week, some of you might have come in late. I'm Jonathan Anderson, the new lead pastor here, and I want to let you know that I successfully survived my first week at Harvest Point United Methodist Church. So I, I need to thank you, right? I need to thank and applaud you. Um, it was an awesome time, and um, it was a fun week. It started last week after worship here, worshiping in the afternoon with La Gran Cosecha, which is um, the Hispanic service here at Harvest Point. They meet weekly at 4 o'clock now, um, but actually on the first Sunday of the month, they join us in this service, and um, so we're glad to have people from um, La Gran Cosecha here, and feel free to worship there any week at 4 o'clock. And then on Monday and Wednesday night, I was with Vacation Bible Camp, learning the dance moves and having fun with all the kids. It was a blast. Um, thank you for trusting your kids to our church, and thank you for those who served and then I had a lot of time eating out with different leaders in the church. And one thing I've discovered is that in the first five to seven days here at Harvest Point, I've already gained five to seven pounds. And so, amen, right? Amen. And um, one of the last things I did was to go to LA Fitness and to get a gym membership so that I could try to have a little balance in my life. But seriously, thank you um, once again on behalf of Emily and I for welcoming us in such a wonderful and loving way here. And thank you for wearing name tags today. If you have a name tag, awesome. I love seeing the name tags because I'm at that stage of ministry and being here, being new, it's tricky. And, you know, I'm not sure if I've met everybody or if I have met you, if I know your name. And so please just reintroduce yourself to me. I mean, when I go to the grocery store and I'm out and about in the community, I just smile and wave and I'm super nice to everybody because it might be one of you, right? So I, I just go around waving and smiling, and I'm so friendly and outgoing, um, praying that you're not the cashier that I get frustrated with at Kroger. And, um, but thank you for being here, and you know, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm an imperfect person, but thank you ahead of time for the grace that you're going to show me. And I know you're imperfect people, we're all imperfect people, being used by a perfect God for His mission in the world. And He wants to use you, He wants to use me, and this morning... We're going to be looking at a very imperfect person and how God invited him on a journey to do some amazing and powerful things in this world. And that person is Moses. And now if you were with us last week, you know we're in this sermon series called The Journey where we're looking at different people's journeys with God throughout the Bible. Last week we looked at Abraham's journey with God and how Abraham called him to live or how God called Abraham to live with faith instead of fear and to step out into the unknown future. And this week, we're looking at Moses and the starting point, really, of his journey with God and his call story. And some of you might know about Moses and his background, but some of you, if you're newer to church, you might not know a lot of details. And, well, Moses has a pretty dramatic life. We find Moses' life story in the book of Exodus and early on, we find that Moses is actually a descendant of Abraham. Abraham was given this commission and this call to be fruitful and to create a great nation. And he did that. He and his wife did that, and they had descendants and descendants, and the nation of Israel was formed. And then generations later, we find a situation in which the Israelite people are living in Egypt. They're living in Egypt, and, and, and they're being fruitful, they're multiplying, they're growing, and the Egyptians felt threatened. And so Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is a title for like president of that empire. The Pharaoh of the time, he said, you know what, I want this to stop. And so he said, let's enslave the people and that'll help lower them down. But 
once he enslaved them, they continued to grow. So then he said, you know what? Let's do this. Let's kill every firstborn male. Actually, let's kill all the male babies so that the population stops growing. And that's the time and culture in which Moses was born. And so Moses, if you didn't know this, Moses was born on the down low, right? His mom wasn't supposed to have him. They were supposed to, if he was to be born, he was supposed to be killed, but she hid him. She hid him for the first two months until he was too big to be hidden in her house anymore. And then she built this little contraption made out of reeds, put him in there, and put him down at the river. And it reads just like a soap opera, right? Because who comes along and finds baby Moses in the river? Pharaoh's daughter. Well, and his sister. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah, we got multiple people find him, but yeah. Mo, yeah, th- th- sorry, that was, I was l- looking for a different answer. We have some great biblical scholars here. Um, so multiple people find Moses, but the most dramatic person that finds Moses is one of Pharaoh's daughters. And so she takes Moses and brings her into the household. And so Moses gets raised in this Egyptian household. And we read not much about his life, but he kind of grows up. And then we find this amazing scene where one day Moses is minding his own business when he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Israelite. And Moses says, you know what? I'm going to take justice into my own hands here. And so he does what we do when we don't want anybody. When we're doing something we shouldn't do, Moses did that. He, he looked left, he looked right, he looked behind him, he looked around him, and he killed the guy. He killed the guy, and then he buried him in the sand, and he was hoping that he wouldn't get found out. But guess what happens when you do something bad and you try to hide it? Usually, you get found out. And so... Word begins to spread that Moses had killed this guy and he has to flee because the Israelites, they know he did it and then Pharaoh knows he did it. And so Pharaoh is trying to kill him. So Moses flees and basically he starts this new life. He starts his life over. He finds a wife. He has a child. And one day he's minding his own business, taking care of some sheep. And he has this amazing encounter with God where God invites him on a crazy journey. And that's our main scripture text for this morning, this conversation between Moses and God. And we find it in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to it. You can also follow along in the insert in your bulletin. On the front and the back is the scripture, and there's some notes on the back there. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my own people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, 
the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you are brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God called Abraham to go on a journey And what did Abraham do? Anybody remember? Abraham went. God here calls Moses on a journey. And what does Moses do? He begins giving excuses. He begins getting hesitant. He he begins to say, "Uh, but God, I I don't know if I'm the right person. God, it might be somebody else. But God, what if they don't listen to me? What if I don't know exactly what... To say, God, what if I don't have the gifts you exactly need? But God, but God, but God. He's viewing it all through a lens of fear instead of a lens of faith. And he gets really hesitant. And so often we as preachers, we we come to somebody like Moses in the scripture who's hesitant to be used by God and we chastise them and we get mad and we beat him up. But the reality is, is that I think so many of us identify with Moses and his hesitancy to be called by God and to be used by God. Right? We all do this in our own ways. You know, God calls us, we feel God calling us to get deeper into his word, to spend more time with him. And then we say, but God, I'm busy. God calls us to step into community with others so that we can grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we say, but God, I'm afraid it's going to be a bunch of weirdos in that small group. And I'm kind of looking for a cool small group with people like me. Or we feel like God's calling us to go out and to love our neighbors. And we say, but God, my neighbor was shooting off fireworks at 11 p.m. last night and my dog and my child couldn't go to sleep. How am I supposed to love my neighbor right now? God calls us on a journey and we say, but God, I like my life as it is right now. Time and time again, we, like Moses, have this hesitancy with God. And if you've never found yourself in that place where you're hesitant to be used by God, trust me, one day you probably will. One day God will ask you to step out in faith and and to lead or to love someone that you don't feel like you can love or to do something that you don't feel like is within your power to do. And on that day, I want you to remember this story of Moses and these key points I'm going to share with you this morning. Because I want to share with you three key points that we learn from Moses' story and his journey with God that are important for us and our journey with God as we too so often are hesitant. Hesitant to be used by God. And the first thing I want to share with you, it comes from Moses' initial response to God. 
If you, if you notice the first question Moses says to God in verse 11 is this. He says, but God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I, God? Why are you calling me? Imagine Moses thinking about his life and thinking, I'm not a priest like my father-in-law. I'm not a super spiritual person. Who am I, God? I'm simply someone who saw a bush that was on fire. It was burning, but it wasn't being burnt up. And I was curious because that's a very weird thing to see in the world. And so I went over there and I looked at the bush. That's who I am, God. There's nothing special about me. Or maybe when God came to him, he immediately thought back to that time in his life. That time he hoped nobody would ever remember. That time he hoped nobody would ever see. He thought about that time that he had killed the Egyptian. And he said, who am I, God? Who am I to be used by you? I have a past. I've done bad things. God, you don't want me leading other people. I've tried to do things before, and it didn't work out well. Who am I, God? I'm unworthy. And Moses was unworthy to be called by God. I'm unworthy to be called and used by God. You're unworthy to be used by God. But here's the first point I want you to know. And if you're filling in the blanks and you're taking notes, you can write this down. Everyone God calls on a journey is unworthy. Everyone God calls on a journey is unworthy. You, I, none of us have done anything to deserve or to earn God's love and an invitation to a journey with Him. And yet, God calls us into a relationship with Him anyway. And yet, God wants to use you, God wants to use me, unworthy people for His purposes in this world. And God wants to do that because God is a God of grace. Grace is simply the unearned, unrepayable, really unthinkable love of God that, that comes to us in our sin, in our brokenness. It's God's love that meets us there and invites us on a journey to become the person He wants us to be. It's God's grace that enables us unworthy people to be used in powerful ways by God. But so often what we do is we disqualify ourselves and we say to God, God, I, you can't use me. I have a past. I've done so many things. I'm so broken. God, you can't use me. But we see ourselves that way, but God sees us in a different way. And this week at Vacation Bible Camp, the kids did an amazing craft in their Bible story to help illustrate this point. If you look over here, some of you can see this little paper cross. It's a paper cross, and on the cross are little hearts with different kids' names on them. And the leaders asked the kids, they said, hey, why don't you take one of those hearts, write your name on one side, and sins you've committed on the other side. And they said, hey, we want this heart to represent your life. You have fallen short. You have messed up. 
But because of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. And so they invited them to glue the hearts onto the cross with their sin facing the cross. And the leaders told them in such a simple and beautiful way. Now when God sees you because you're in Christ, He sees Carson. He sees Nehemiah. He sees Jonathan. He sees His beloved child. He sees someone He can use for His work in the world. But you know, you and I, so often we, we want to turn around the hearts and, and we want to, to put our sin on display and we think, no God, that's how you see me. But God sees who we were created to be. God sees someone he can use in this world. God saw Moses and he saw a great leader that he had called. God calls us on, calls us on a journey. And every one of us is unworthy, but God calls us anyway. And it's interesting to note that as a as Moses begins talking with God and figuring things out, that one of the things we learn about him is that he's not a good public speaker. Did you know this? That Moses was a terrible public speaker, the Bible tells us. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses uses it as yet another excuse to be hesitant and to not be used by God. And so Moses says this, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord and said, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. And though you've spoken to me, I get, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you to, as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, please send anyone else. It's kind of crazy, right? You think if God was going to send somebody to go and be his representative to the most powerful person in the entire world at the time, that God would send somebody with the gift of public speaking. That God would send somebody with some leadership experience. That God would send somebody who had been raised up and had all the credentials. You'd think that God would send somebody younger. Somebody who was used to the spotlight and orator. You know, maybe God would send somebody like Andy Stanley or something. But no, God sends Moses. God sends Moses and says, hey, don't worry about it. I will be with you. He sends Moses and he also sends his brother Aaron and says, hey, he's going to be with you too. He's going to help you. He's going to be your mouthpiece. You can do it together. You can do it with my power. And here we find the second thing I want you to know, and that is this, that God loves to use unlikely people. God loves to use unlikely people for his work in the world. Remember last week, Abraham and Sarah? a couple who were, were unable to conceive children, God used them to form a great nation, the nation of Israel. Some of you know the story of Paul, right? Paul, who went around persecuting Christians. God used him to be a missionary to the Gentiles and to write so much of the New Testament. 
God loves to use unlikely people, and Paul helps give us some insight as to why that is. God loves to use unlikely people because God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness, and when someone who is unlikely does something powerful for God, the world has to stop and to say, what is going on here? How is this guy who can barely speak, who has a stutter, how can he be used by God to lead these people out of captivity? People begin to take notice. Some of you were at the meet and greet where I shared part of my call story. And my call from God came when I was in middle school. And it was in middle school, people were, you know, always asking, what are you going to be when you grow up? And immediately in my mind, there was this image of the senior pastor of my church growing up in his full robe in the big pulpit with his booming voice. That's what I pictured in my mind when I thought of what I was going to be when I grew up. I thought, that's weird, but over time, God continued to impress upon my spirit that he was calling me to be a pastor. And so one day, I reached out to my aunt, who's a United Methodist pastor, and I said, hey, I'm feel like I might be called by God. And she said, yeah, your grandmother and I have talked about it before. It's like, why didn't you tell me? So your grandmother and I have talked about it before. We think you are as well. And in these next years, just go to church, get involved with the youth group, love other people, begin to start leading and exploring ministry. And so that's what I did. At the beginning, I had, I had this childlike faith, right? I was like, yes, God, I'll go and be a pastor. I'm in eighth grade. And so I, I began to get involved in the church and to lead and to go on mission trips. And God worked in so many powerful ways. And as I left high school, I went to college and I was on that track still. But then as I was in college and exploring ministry and working in different churches, I began to see all the different responsibilities and roles that a pastor had to take on in a church. You know, they're not just preacher on Sunday morning. I realized that they visit the hospital. They care for those who are sick. They, they have to deal with finances and help raise money. They have to lead an organization, deal with conflict. They have to lead a staff. And I began, began seeing, wow, this is such a huge role. And I began to doubt whether I could do it. I, I began to think, God, I, I don't know if I have the gift set to do all of those things. I, I don't know if my weaknesses are going to be liabilities and if, if this is all going to work out. And so I began to get hesitant and think maybe that call from God was a call for back then. Maybe there's something different now. And at the time I was praying, God, help show me the way, help show me the way. And one night I found myself during a Thanksgiving break at the edge of my bed just praying, God, send me a sign. A prayer I had prayed many times before. And the next day I woke up, checked my email, and I had this email from my best friend in seminary at the time. He said, hey man, I was praying for you today and was reminded of a conversation that we had recently. You asked me what strengths and qualities I saw in you for ministry. And if I remember the tone correctly, it sounded like you were doubting yourself a bit. That's whack. That's what, that's what he literally wrote. And then the email, he went on and he began to call out some of my strengths and, and talk about how God's power 
would empower me in the midst of my weaknesses. And then he ended with this. He said, the number one quality for ministry that you possess, in my opinion, and your own life, if you're honest with yourself, is the fact that God has put a claim on your life for ministry. This is the qualifier above all qualifiers. And as I got that email, I wept. I wept in thanksgiving. And I wept as I rediscovered that very, very simple truth. That God doesn't call the qualified. Some of you know how the other half goes. God qualifies the called. Yes, God, we're listening. God doesn't call. That's a call for somebody. I don't know who that's for. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. There's not a huge list of prerequisites to be used by God to go on a journey with God. The only prerequisite God has is for you to be willing to say, Yes, God, I'll step out in faith. I'll go. I'm willing to be used by you. And eventually we see Moses saying yes to God. We see him stepping out in faith and beginning to go on this journey leading the people. And you know, as he finally submits to God's call on his life, it's interesting if you zoom in on the exact task that Moses was given. In chapter 3, verse 18, we read this. God told Moses, You and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. This is kind of unexpected, right? God didn't call Moses to to raise up an army. God didn't say, get the artillery, get ready for battle. God said, go make a speech to the most powerful person in the world and ask to go into the wilderness for three days. And then be patient. Be patient as I begin to do my work of freeing your people. It's not exactly what I expected God to do in this story. And so often throughout Scripture, as we see different people in their journeys with God, we find the same thing happening over and over again, that God's playbook is different than our playbook. And so often in Scripture, we find point number three, that God's ways are often unconventional. That when God calls us to do something and to step out in faith, usually it doesn't look like what we might expect or what the world might expect. God doesn't fight worldly powers with worldly power. God doesn't fight darkness with darkness. God doesn't use the same things the world uses. Instead, God does things in an upside-down way. And ultimately, that's what we see in Jesus Christ, right? The people were expecting this sovereign ruler to come in and to take control of everything. But instead of the sovereign ruler who was ruling from on high, they got a suffering servant. 
Instead of someone who came in and simply destroyed his enemies, Jesus came in and he loved his enemies. And he sought to save his enemies and forgive his enemies. Instead of sending someone into the world who who wanted to save their own life like you and I so often do, instead Jesus comes in and he gives his life freely. And as he gives his life freely, he finds and we find true life and true freedom. God's ways are often unconventional. And on this 4th of July weekend and week, as I've been thinking about freedom and different things, I was reminded of a movie I saw earlier this year. Hacksaw Ridge. Anyone seen that movie? It's a powerful movie, and I encourage you to see it. There's violence in it. But if you can deal with that, I encourage you to see it. It's a powerful movie that tells the life story of Desmond Doss. Now, Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector in World War II. And it starts with his early life, and we discover that early on, Desmond was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. And he came to believe that while he could go to war, he would not carry a gun, and he would not kill anybody. And as you can imagine, that's a pretty wild thing to be in the military and, and to say that. And we see his life and the different battles and the drama he goes through as he makes this decision. And the movie culminates with the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa. Where he is serving on the front lines as a medic without a weapon in the thick of battle. And as he finds himself in that Battle of Hacksaw Ridge, he single-handedly rescues 75 people. And in the end, we discover that for that rescue, for his heroism, that he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was the first conscientious objector to ever do so. And as I've been reflecting on the movie and thinking about it, I was thinking about the scenes where person after person told him that he was unworthy to wear the uniform that he was a disgrace, and yet he had the courage to continue to do so anyway. I thought about what an unlikely war hero this guy was who refused to carry a weapon into battle. And as he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, I couldn't help but think, what an unconventional way to win that award. And what we find in Desmond Doss's story and his journey is a lot of things that are similar to the journey that God is calling us on. God is calling us, people who, who self-label or are labeled by others unworthy, God is calling us on a journey. He's calling us people who are unlikely, who might not have the best gifts or the coolest credentials. He's calling us to be used for his great work. And he's calling us to do it in unconventional ways. And the question for us this morning is, will we say yes to God? Will we have the courage to say yes like Desmond did and to step out? 
to say to God, yes, I'm unworthy, but you are of infinite worth. Yes, God, I'm unlikely, but I know that your power and your presence can do all things through me. Yes, God, I know this all seems unconventional, but your ways are higher than my ways. Are you willing to say yes to God? Let us pray. God, you call us in so many different ways to so many different things. You give us the general call to love you and to love others. And God, we pray that you would help us to do that faithfully, even when it's difficult. God, we also know that like Moses, you at times give us specific callings in life. You call us to step out in faith and to risk for your kingdom. And God, I don't know every area of every person's life in here or how you've called them in the past or how you're calling them today, but I pray that you would help us as a church to say yes. Yes. We are willing to be used by you. Yes, we are willing to go. Yes, we are willing to step out in faith. Yes. Yes. May it be so with us, God. Amen.